Welcome to the Cypress University podcast. This is our very first episode, and we will be hearing a presentation given at this year's Cypress University event by keynote speaker, Andy Kaur. He will be giving us some insight on the future of wellness. Vegas, are you ready for this? Okay, thanks for the enthusiasm. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get there. All right, so my job is to talk about the future of wellness. What is the future of wellness? Everybody I ask does this. I got no idea. Because what we face is a changing environment in the world of wellness. Have you heard any negative news about the effectiveness of wellness programs in the workplace? Raise your hand if you've heard negative news on the ROI of wellness. Okay, see, that's what I thought. We're gonna talk about that and how we can go to a better model, a full value model, a full value ROI model in wellness. And what that's gonna to take to really to be fiduciary, really responsible. All right, number two, we're gonna talk about what does it take to create sustained participation in wellness. Has anyone started a wellness program with some pretty good energy? but then suffered the slow and gruesome death of declining participation? Huh? Yeah, you don't, have to, you don't have to go, yeah, I did that. Because many of you have. So I think that's a tragedy because I'm a believer in wellness. But I'm gonna also tell you, I am a research guy. I'm a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled kind of guy. That's funnier in a more research-oriented crowd. <laughs> I love research. I love data. I love statistical analysis. I really come from that world. I love research so much, I've had inappropriate thoughts about research. Oh, you think I'm weird for that? Okay. Raise your hand for me if you've ever looked at a bar chart, pie chart, spreadsheet, some form of data, and looked at that and went, now that is beautiful. Yeah, that's what I thought, all right. Okay, so what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna introduce you with a little bit of story. Uh, I did a presentation much like this, and I finished, and I walked off, and a lady ran up to me. She goes, Andy, I'm so excited. I want you to come look at our, our wellness program that we put on our company intranet, and I want you to see we're not getting the kind of participation we want. I said, I would love to. So I go to their location, I sit down. Oh, just so that you know, this is one of the largest companies in the world, okay? And it was, it was easy to figure that out because when you looked at their intranet portal, all the wellness information vendors basically giving them their stuff. I mean, Cooper, Mayo, Cleveland, it was all there. I was looking at that, a massive amount of incredible information, and I looked at her and I go, wow. She goes, I know, right? That's awesome. I said, well, tell me about your, um, your data usage, your participation. When are people coming? How long are they staying? Your analytics. And she goes, well, Andy, what we found is that the, our employees only come to our, our intranet once every two weeks. Anybody know why that is? It's payroll. They're looking for their paycheck. Even the people that got into the wellness information bounced. 
Now see, most people aren't like me. Most people wouldn't see that wealth of information and get a little shiver and think this is gonna be great. I'm just gonna need coffee and hot pockets for 12 days, because I'm gonna, <laughs> see most people look at that information and they go, nah, and they're gone. Because here's, here's my main number one key point for you. Even people who want information on how to improve their benefits, improve their health, improve their finances, improve their career, a thirsty person will drown if there's too much water. Right, so I want you to think to your employee benefits, to the offerings that you give people, when they go there, what do you think their first thought is when they see that information? What do you think? This is gonna be great? Or, oh, I'm gonna get to this later. I want you to think about that because that is a powerful, that first thought, the first thing they see, the first experience they have, the first thing they feel is powerful and it's a powerful trigger into whether or not they're gonna engage with that information, much less use that information and share that information. Yeah, so I want you to start thinking about that, okay? What's that initial gut reaction that your people get when they see wellness? when they hear about wellness or when they hear other people in your organization talk about wellness. You see, most people aren't talking about this, but this is basic behavioral science. It's the law of behavioral momentum, is that if your initial thought, your initial feeling, your initial gut reaction to anything has what psychologists call a disproportionate salience on your behavior, which means it has an irrationally strong effect. Okay. So when I was looking at their amount of information, I said, you know, I've got some ideas on, on why this isn't working. It's just, it's all awesome, but there's no real direction in it, right? There's no real personalization in it. And see, those are my next two key points for you. If you want people to, to participate, to have sustained connection with the offerings that you give people, there's gotta be direction and personalization. Direction beats information seven days a week. Every time. All right, well, if, you don't, if you're not buying that right away, that's okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that most of your populations know that they should exercise and that if they did exercise, it would be worth it? Let's back this up. Let's talk about you. Do you know that you should exercise and that if you did it, it would be worth it? Do you know why you don't? Why don't you do as much as you could? Why don't we do what we know we should? That's a behavioral, that's a psychological and behavioral issue. That's not an information issue, right? I tease my fellow health experts all the time. I'll say, okay. So you've got great, I've looked through your information, you've got great awareness campaigns. Awareness on helping people become aware that they should eat healthier, that they should better manage their stress and that they should be more physically active. I said, are your people, you're giving that great information on awareness to them. Let me ask you, do you think they're already aware? <laughs> Here's the thing about awareness programs. They're very effective if the people are unaware. <laughs> that kind of like heavy knowledge right there, that's why I get the big bucks, people. It's because people, just, we're just not thinking about it like this. Because I know the situation, I know the problems, because 
I've talked with so many people just like you. I mean, brokers and clients and people who are on the front lines trying to make wellness a part of their culture. It's, it's difficult. But if you want to just say, all right, here's this information, and then launch it. It's kind of like, uh, how many of you have watched Game of Thrones? Yeah, I love that show. One of the things I love about it is the battle scenes. Right, and the battle scenes, have you seen them like roll those big siege towers up to the gates, up to the, the, the castle gates? You see, that's what most wellness programs hope works. They stand back from their people, they load up this information and they launch it over the walls, hoping that it will hit someone and make a difference. And occasionally it does, right? That's better than nothing for sure. But what's better? What's better than that? It's when you get your people to sneak inside the lines, sneak inside the gates and integrate with people. Be part of their team. Direction beats information seven days a week and personalization. The, what ideas, what initiatives, what wellness programs that you offer your people have truly got to be for your people. Now I know this doesn't make me popular because so many wellness vendors I'm not a wellness vendor. I'm a third party expert. I can just give you the real deal. Most wellness vendors want you to say, want you to believe that you can buy this internet program, plug it in, and all is good. Has anyone done that to where you've plugged in a generic off the shelf wellness program and it's produced sustainable results and participation? There's not one hand in the air. And that's the typical answer, right? So, but see, this gets us into a problem because the wellness vendors have this block of amazing information that they wanna to sell to people. And see, here's the thing. When you try to sell uh, wellness information to an organization, when you're trying to sell that to them, what do you think is their number one question? What do people, what, do the, what does the leadership wanna know typically? What was it? ROI, that's great, we're gonna talk about that. What else, what else do they wanna know? <laughs> See, that's it, right? They want to know ROI and say, you've got to be a better messenger. We've got to take a better, a better look, a better way of presenting wellness so that people, when they think ROI, you think, yeah, you know, we can, we can do ROI, but let me talk to you about the other things that are more of a rounded, full value. Look at this, I'm a realistic way to look at wellness and how it can really integrate into our company culture. Okay, so that's what I want you to start thinking about is that whenever you provide wellness information, I want it to be based upon direction and personalization. Yeah, and it's not as hard as you think. Cypress, their wellness program, gold medal in the Wellcoa Workplace Awards, they have a small budget for that. They have vol a volunteer staff. They didn't have to dump tons of money and hire a person. They did it from the inside out and I think that's why it was successful. They got people who are part of their organization to be on the committee and think of things and talk to people and they know their people and they came up with ideas. Do you know what the difference, that's a, an excellent way to do it. Do you know what the opposite of that is? An organization who bought an off the shelf wellness program and part of it was their incentives were tied to a 10,000 steps program. And they really pushed this into uh, the organization which had a large number of warehouse managers. How many steps a day do you think a typical warehouse manager took at work? 19,000 steps. Okay, 
So if they're taking 19,000 steps, then you're going to motivate them to go out after work and walk. <laughs> See, that's the opposite of sustained participation. That creates disengagement. That creates people going, this is ridiculous. Right? So it's got to be personalized. And my, my belief, my, I know that it's not that difficult to find those personalized solutions. And it it's actually can be relatively, almost very inexpensive if you can get someone to study the way that people work and live in that role or in your organization. Do you think you should give the same program to someone who works in admin who's, uh, or versus someone who works in the warehouse? Some of them, yes, but not all of them. They've got to have that personalization. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about why I believe this is so critical. After a presentation like this, I, four people lined up for questions. I love that part. The fourth person asked the question. The fourth person left. I thought I was finished. And I grabbed my things. I turned around, and oh, a woman is standing right there. And I said, yes, ma'am, can I help you? She goes, yes, you can. Sit down. I was like, oh, spicy, all right, I like that. And she looked at me and she goes, Andy, I work 70 hours a week. Where am I gonna, have, where am I gonna fit wellness in? I said, well, Janet, first of all, why? I looked at her name tag, Janet, I said, why are you working 70 hours a week? It's because I just got added to my job and I'm, in a, I'm the go-to person. And she goes, you know, the thing is though, is like the past six months, I've started to feel things like, God, why am I so tired? Why am I so cranky? Why don't I wanna do what I know I should? And I'm like, oh, Janet, you were in my presentation. You know what I want you to do. She goes, Andy, I will do those things on one condition. If you'll tell me when it's going to work. And see, as a researcher, I was like, well, Janet, there's too many variables involved to accurately predict when the desired outcome. <laughs> right, it's funny because it's ridiculous and true. Okay. And she goes, well, I'm not going to do it. So I thought, okay, Janet. I promise you will reach your goals by June 31st. There's only 30 days in June, people. Now, do you think I was telling her that she's going to reach her goals on a day that doesn't exist to tell her that she's not going to hit her goals? No, it was a pattern interrupt. I want to change your mindset. I want her to stop thinking about the outcomes that may or may not happen and focus on what she really has control over, her daily thoughts, her daily actions. And I, then I said, well, Janet, I can help you a little bit more specifically if you tell me what your day is like. Now, see, this is where I want you to start thinking about. You know, in marketing, they build what are called marketing personas, right? So if you're going to try to sell to a certain subsection of people, the smart marketers will spend time interviewing people, studying those people so that they can get a, an idea, a picture, a snapshot of what that person, their daily life is like, their wants and their needs, yeah, so I want you to do a wellness persona snapshot for your people. And it's not that difficult. You just have to ask them what their day is like. And that's what I did for Janet. And so Janet goes, all right, June 31st, Andy, okay, I'll do it. Uh, so first thing in the morning, typical work day for Janet is, uh, uh, oh, snooze. Uh, uh, oh, I took a shower yesterday. Okay, snooze. Uh, uh, oh. Now, see, here's the thing. Janet doesn't know that the snooze button is secretly plotting to destroy her. If you look at the research on snooze buttons, snooze button is, is actually one of the most effective ways to torture someone to mentally and physically break them. 
right? It is. It's better than waterboarding, bamboo under the fingernails, or electrical shocks to the groin. I mean, we're in Vegas, so I'm going to keep that. So here's the thing. I was like, okay, that's number one. That's terrible because remember behavioral momentum. The first thing you do, the first thing you think has a disproportionate salience on your behavior. It sets the tone. And then I said, okay, then what happens? She goes, well, then I get up and I'm 15 minutes behind schedule. And then it's rush, 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 and it's go. And I said, do you have time to sit down and eat breakfast? <laughs> okay, what about exercise? <laughs> okay, well, what are you like with your family? Okay, now think about this. You not only need to figure out what the health behaviors of your people are, you need to figure out what their emotional barriers are, right? Emotional barriers, because emotional energy drives motivation or kills it, all right? And she goes, well, it's like rush, it's go. I mean, I'm like screaming at my kids. She's got five kids, by the way. She's like out the door. And see, here's the thing. Janet goes from, she leaves home transitioning from chaos and she gets in her car and she's rushing to work and she schools into the parking lot spraying gravel caffeine in hand the caffeine goes down she becomes a productivity machine and emails done to do check 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 call 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 until about 9 15 and then she's like bam she hits this huge lull she's like what is wrong with me but see here's the thing she doesn't know that that's because she didn't eat a healthy breakfast Right? And she's getting hungry, but she's thinking, God, she doesn't know that it's this momentum that's built. And then she goes, you know what it is? I know what it is. I know why I feel tired. I'm hungry. Then she gets up and does what I call cubicle trick-or-treating. <laughs> she lands in a break room. What's in your break rooms? See, because here's the thing. Janet knows she should not eat that. Seven. She knows she shouldn't grab those two bear claws and lodge them in her midsection right there. Do you think she knows that? Sure she does. But it's because the pattern in which she's living is sabotaging her motivation to live healthy. It's not the information. It's not the knowledge. It's their patterns. It's her daily way of life. And then Janet lodges two bear claws there, goes back to work. And after that, you get that, that kind of stuff. I mean, you're energized. You're pumped for seven minutes. And then she's like, mommy. Bam, she hits that next big lull. And then she's like, okay, now here's the thing. When you're at work and you feel a big energy lull, what comes to mind? What do you think the problem is? Now it varies, it varies. But sometimes when your energy lull goes down, your energy goes down, especially your emotional, your mental, your physical, when all those go down, you start thinking things like, What's wrong with me? Right? That's another powerful negative trigger. And so then Janet, after that, it's 10, it's 10.50. It's 10 minutes before lunch. She looks at her to-do list. It's not to done enough. She goes to lunch. She sits there at lunch. Now, do you think this energy that's been built through her, the patterns of her day, land with her at lunch? She flips open the menu right there. Guiltless chicken breast salad. Right there. Cheeseburger. What do you think her choice is going to be? She does the cheeseburger on the way back from lunch. It's like, <laughs> she gets back from lunch and she's like, I'm so tired. And you know, I just want to stop for a second and say that this is what's happening, right? And then she gets back from lunch and then she doesn't, she, she knows the tasks that she should tackle, but she doesn't tackle them because her patterns are off. She's got the ability, she's got the heart, she's got the intellect, but if, if she was in a workplace that helped her, that had healthy options that she could have at lunch, 
at on those breaks, if her managers, if her, if her leadership in, encouraged her to take those breaks, you know, if you start thinking about the patterns in which people live, you can start really coming up with really unique solutions to the big problems that we face. Yeah? All right, I want everybody to take a huge, big, deep breath in and hold it. Now, I have 45 minutes with an extension of nine hours on this program, but I don't want to just run the show. I want this to be a conversation. I mean, does anyone have a success story about when they thought about the daily barriers in their people's lives and designed a program that helped them? <laughs> yeah, so that's, a common, that's another common reaction, and I bet there are some examples out there. But I just want you to start thinking about that, because if you want your wellness, if you want to be in the future of wellness, it's going to be those solutions. Direction-based. Show me what to do. Don't tell me I should do it. And give me specific ideas that actually can fit within my life. That right there is worth the price of admission, I'm telling you. Because that's not what a lot of wellness vendors might tell you. Because that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of digging in. And you can help them by helping them get those wellness personas in your workplace. Yeah? All right. Future of wellness, topic number one. Direction and personalization has got to be part of your wellness implementation. You ready for number two? Man, this enthusiasm is killing me. <laughs> Thank you. I got one. Woohoo! That's good. That's better. All right. Number two, let's talk about ROI. Okay, ROI is, I wanna take a step back before we get to ROI, because we can get there even better if we do this first. Who, do you think wellness is the right word? Who thinks wellness is the best word when you're trying to get people to live a healthier way of life? Huh? I appreciate that. You know what? And some people are, I'm going to give you an example of where that's right. Okay. What other words might be better than wellness? Healthy. Oh, that's really good. That's great. Did anybody think well-being? Yeah, well-being is the buzzword. It's the, that's what a lot of the health experts think or wellness experts think is the future. You know, 2008 Gallup did their well-being point, their well-being program, and that's really helped shift some people towards wellness. So, but here's the question I want you to ask. Is wellness the right word? Should you go to well-being or should you revert to health? Okay, I'm going to give you a couple examples. For this program, I interviewed a couple of the smartest people I know in the world of wellness. A guy who runs a company called Human Factor Analytics. He used to have a very successful wellness program. Now he shifted that wellness. He was a wellness vendor. Now he's a wellness vendor on analytics only because he believes in the future of analytics. But when the RAND study came out, well, how do you think people, do you think people, when they heard about the RAND study saying that basically, the RAND report, that basically wellness programs are ineffective, they should be dumped, they aren't worth it. Do you think that's what the RAND report said? See, that's what a lot of people are getting from the RAND report. What they're saying is, is the way that measurement, the way that wellness vendors are measuring success is, doesn't hold up statistically. 
That's what they said, right? And then people who took that, and then they said, wellness is ineffective and should be dumped. It's a waste of money and it's a waste of time. Okay, they're wrong. And they're right. They're right if you don't take a personalized, direction-based approach to wellness. And they're wrong because if you do take wellness and you do get it to people in a way that they feel it's part of them, I pity the fool that doesn't think that anybody can change their their wellness, their well-being, their health. I really do because I've seen it over and over again. All right, so let's talk about my first interview with the wellness, with the analytics specialist. He said, we should not abandon the word wellness. He goes, we don't have the analytical tools yet to show some of the measures, some of the way that we, we validate wellness success. They haven't been invented, they haven't been refined. It's gonna take some more time, but it's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Stick with wellness. And then I talked to uh, one of the smartest guys I know in wellness, Dr. Joe Lutzinger, and Health Improvement Solutions is his company. And I said, what do you think the future of wellness is? He goes, Andy, the future of wellness is well-being. And I said, okay, so we're having a debate now, putting those guys against each other. Should we stick to wellness and hold on until it becomes where we can prove with a more reliable measures on the effectiveness of it? Or should we try to jump to well-being? You see, I kind of fluctuate between those two because I do believe that wellness statistically, analytically, will be proven to be effective in the future once we get more rigorous and uh, creative ways of measuring. And when I say creative ways of measuring, I'm not talking about what some of the wellness vendors were doing that got pinged by the RAND report, right? They were, they were doing a little fake news. So what I believe is that it will happen. So maybe we should stick with wellness. But then I know that well-being is an amazingly good approach as well because well-being shows a more universal approach to changing health behaviors. You've got to think about more than just should people eat healthy and should people be more physically active and and get their preventative screenings. It's got to be a more of an inclusive behavioral approach. But then I challenged Joe and I said, Joe, your company is called Health Improvement Solutions. It's not called Wealth Improvement, I mean, Wellness Improvement Solutions. So he goes, yeah, you know, you could argue for going all the way back to reverting, going away from wellness and just saying, this program is purely about health. I think that's a valid approach too. So all three of those I think are effective and which one should you choose? I think that depends on your situation. I want you to start thinking about that and I'll give you a couple ways to think about it. One, to get wellness to be part of your organization or grow in your organization, do you have to prove, I mean prove a ROI of your efforts? If you do, I got two suggestions for you. Number one, don't ask for more money yet. Number two is revert to health. Start to try to identify small pieces of the health equation that you can make a measurable results against. Because then if you can show measurable, measurable results with this initiative, it's gonna create some positive momentum for you and open up, I think, and it does open up budget for other things when you can take a more uh, holistic approach with wellness and well-being. If you are currently being successful 
promoting wellness in your organization, I say stick with the person that brought you to the dance. You've got to stick there and just continue to refine and improve. And if you can make it more um, direction-based and personalization-based, you will see continued success. But if you've been doing wellness for a couple decades, like Johnson & Johnson and Intel and, some of the, and Microsoft and some of the companies that have been successful for 20 plus years, I think they should go towards well-being. I think they should incorporate more of a universal approach because they've already built that inertia, that momentum through their program. Where are you on the continuum? Where are your customers on the continuum? Yeah, that's a great way to think about should, how you should rebrand the programs that you present. I typically, my personal opinion, is that very few should stick with wellness. They should revert to health, be more specific, or jump forward to well-being, or jump forward even more. And that's where we're gonna go next. How can you take wellness upstream to well-being, and then upstream, what's upstream of well-being? Yeah, see, that's kind of what, I mean, I've been doing this for 22 years. And I started out as health and fitness, right? Health and fitness. And then I went to health and wellness, right? In the 90s, health and wellness. And, but I was still new into the speaking about wellness. And this one speakers bureau, do you know what a speakers bureau is? They're kind of like an agent for speakers. They, she contacted me and she goes, Andy, listen, I, I want to put you in for this program. They want to do a development program for their people. I said, okay, great. This is awesome. And she goes, how much do you charge? Well, see, 1993, I charged $2,500, okay? Um, she goes, I'm going to put you in. And she copied me on the email that she sent to the client, a large corporate client that was wanting to boost wellness, health, in their organization, okay? And she put, I was the number one, $2,500, health and wellness. The next person was work-life balance, $12,000. The next person was employee engagement, $13,500. Now, when you look at that, I mean, I don't know, when I was looking at that, I was like, there is a problem here. And it's a perception problem, right? Because I watch those two speakers. I know what they speak about. They speak about very similar things. It was a perception issue. I did a presentation I would bet seven months ago, it was on how to thrive in a high demand workplace. And part of that is obviously wellness, right? So then I bring up wellness and the minute I start to say, you know, now let's talk about some of the wellness behaviors that you can, this woman goes, oh, I mean in front of 350 people, she tilts her head back and groans and everybody heard it. Do you think we've reached the point of wellness saturation? I do, because so many times we've pushed wellness into the workplace before it was really ready. And people get wellness information now from every direction. How can we make, our, how can we make your wellness program not suffer a perception problem? I'll give you an example, a case study. Um, one of my biggest favorite clients is a high-tech company. I've spoken for them like 24 times in the past three years. And the reason why is because they are dumping tons of money into their Great Place to Work program. Great Place to Work. Why they're doing that? For two reasons. One is that their employee evaluations, work-life balance, um, happiness, 
engagement at work was down. They're thinking, man, I guess we just need to make this a better place to work. How about making it a great place to work? And they're like, yeah, all right. So they start trying to think of things that, that would work. The second reason is they wanted to be on the best places to work list, right? Because that's a great recruiting tool. So then they were off the list. And the four years that I've worked with them, and it was not, I'm not saying it was me, the four years they went from off the list, 97, 77, 44 on that list. And do you know how they grew on that list so rapidly? Very simple. The first thing they did and what their employees love is they have free fruit. Free fruit. So anytime their people are, are bored, tired, frustrated, hungry, they can walk into a break area and get free fruit. The second thing they did is they included social connection. They tried to uh, um, and garner social connection with their people. Now, for instance, what they would do is they would rent out a section of uh, like a professional uh, hockey game or professional basketball game for their, for their employees. And they say, you know, you can bring your family, but you have to wear a, a shirt, the organization, and man, it was awesome. They rent out a movie theater one night a month to where they would go out, like they were saying, okay, we're not gonna give you this gift. We're gonna do something where you can create social connection. Yeah, with your people. So instead, you know, mom and dad at work constantly being pulled away from family because of work responsibilities. Now they're saying, how can we emotionally help those people? And they, so they hire this, they buy out this movie theater. Everybody goes, they bring their kids. It was going to do something anyway. They get to see coworkers, coworkers with kids. They get food. It's awesome. Okay, and the, and the next thing they do is like, they're always trying to have a little sort of a, 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 an event in the cafeteria area. Like one time they sent me to uh, Malaysia and I walk into the building to do uh, their fourth tactic. And what they did is they're, they're doing education that they call beyond the cube, which means education that is not solely about work. How can we help you as a person? And so I was coming in to do a beyond the cube presentation, work-life balance, that kind of thing. And I walk in, it was like, oh, it stinks in here. I mean, it was terrible. And I said, what is that smell? He goes, I forgot. Today is one of our durian parties. You know what durian is? I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's this big spiky fruit. And you crack it open and it smells like dirty teenager feet. But it's a delicacy, especially in Malaysia. They think they have the best, right? So I walk out into their little courtyard, break area, and there's big boxes of all this durian fruit and machetes. Now, I don't know how they haven't got a machete past HR, but there are machetes out there and there's all these people standing around talking, eating fruit. Now, these ideas were not in their wellness program. Do you think they should be in their wellness program? 100%. Do you think a wellness, do you think you could get people to eat more fruit? If you, if you went at it from this approach, like how can we make this a great place to work versus, you know what, you're overweight, you're costing us a lot of money and you need to eat more fruit. Now you think that's absurd the way I say that, but that's now most wellness is communicated in the workplace, I swear it. Uh, if we had a longer time, I'd make you do a role play. One person is gonna be the wellness advocate. The other person is gonna be the mean CFO who's gonna shut it down if at all possible. Yeah, and you're gonna go back and forth. And what you'll find is that most people, wellness believers, 
communicate wellness like this. They say, here's the problem. We have uh, escalating healthcare costs. It's unsustainable. 70% of those costs are based upon you're overweight, you're unhealthy, you smoke, right? And so that's why we need a wellness program. Accurate, not motivating. That's how most people do it. That's our, that's our, like our typical response, problem solution. I want you to think deeper. How can you go, what's better than problem solution? It's starting with meaning, with context. So I want you to think about how can you make wellness, that's what I think, if you go from health, wellness, well-being, great place to work. More deeply integrated with the culture of the organization and it's tied to other metrics than healthcare data utilization, right? It's tied to employee engagement surveys. It's tied to retention of key personnel. Those, if you can connect wellness in and get them as part of a great place to work program, you're not only gonna be able to prove a better ROI, you're gonna have more support, you're gonna be able to approach people without wellness, having to overcome wellness saturation. Does that make sense? Yeah, everybody take another big deep breath in. We're gonna do one minute at your table right now. I want you to discuss what you think the future of wellness is. Ready, get set, go. All right, here we go. Future of wellness. Change of habits is what she said. Change of habits, that's right. And how do you change habits? You just gotta get rid of donut day. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta get rid of donut day. That's awesome. Right, and so what she's saying, to, and the way I hear what you're saying is that you have to take a behavioral approach to behavior change, yeah? You gotta think about what are the obstacles your people face? What are the, how can you help them create this positive, wellness, healthy momentum? And I'm telling you, uh, if you look up, I believe that motivation is just momentum in disguise, yeah? So that's good. All right, gentlemen, sorry, let me squeeze through here. Um, what's the future of wellness? Personal motivation. Personal motivation, absolutely. That's right. What, he's, what I think you're saying is that you've got to find it within yourself, right? But is it easier or harder if you're in an environment that encourages, encourages those positive behavioral act choices? So much, it's so much easier, right? And I believe, that, I believe that any workplace culture can change. And how you change a workplace culture is one step at a time, right? And I, I was doing a presentation a couple of days ago for a, um, a group and they were like, so Andy, what you're saying is, is if you wanna swallow an elephant, it's one bite at a time, right? I said, yeah, but it's better than that because with each bite of that elephant, your taste for elephant improves. You start liking elephant more with each bite. Yeah, that's great. All right, what's the future of wellness? I guess interaction. Interaction, okay, are you saying like interaction through technology or interaction through social connection? Yeah, yeah, social connection. Now, that whole Great Place to Work program was built upon social connection. Do you know that one of the primary drivers of procrastination is a lack of social regeneration? I'm telling you, you can say you heard it here first since we're talking about the future of wellness. Social connection is gonna become more and more, greater and greater emphasis 
in importance in workplaces. Microsoft does a thing where they don't want their employees more than 100 feet away from food at any point in time. I mean, I think that's kind of tough on their wellness program, unless it's the right kind of food. But what they're trying to encourage is social connection. Um, let me ask you, uh, who's heard of allostatic load? Anybody heard of that? Allostatic load is that when you're in, where you're in a job where you can't, you don't have enough coping to where eventually you can't handle the load. And what it does is it starts deteriorating your immune system, your attitude, your creativity, your productivity. I believe that it does require a well-being approach, but if we're gonna get measured on something, we need to pick one thing first, yeah? All right, what about this table? What's the future of wellness? <laughs> Come on, what's your future of wellness? I, I just always think that most wellness programs give human resources a heart attack, and so they're counterproductive. So it's trying to have something in place so that it's manageable. Yeah, so there's the, there's the rub, right? You've got the idea, you wanna do direction and personalization, but how do you do that? Because most, pe most organizations dump it onto HR, and not even HR as a whole. Like one, sometimes a subsection of HR, and they're supposed to manage that, plus the 50 other things they're managing, and to be a champion for it with the leadership, and get their people to buy into it. So I think that's another example of starting at a manageable pace. You know, with the wellness continuum of people who aren't who are interested in doing wellness in the workplace in their organization and people who have been doing it for a couple decades. Most people in this room, you're gonna be in there somewhere. And where should you start? I'm a firm believer that everyone should start. Right now is an amazing time to begin a wellness initiative, to grow your wellness initiatives. But remember the caveat, if you're gonna be measured by hard-nosed, statistically verified ROI, then don't ask for a bunch of money, but still start. Yeah, still start. Okay, one more table. What's the future of wellness? Uh, social connection. Ah, I like it, social connection. That's awesome, because I do believe that. All right, I'm gonna give you a couple ideas on where, if you, where you should start. What, what creates a behavioral change in people? Yeah, the title of my book is Change Your Day, Not Your Life. That's what I believe. I think that's a great, I'm not asking you to buy my book. I'm saying take that idea. I mean, I want you to buy my book, but I, I want you to take that idea and think about how can we change the day of the people that we're trying to help. One part, right? And a great place to start is when they start. How do you help people with the start of their day to create a positive behavioral momentum? How do you people restart their day after lunch? Think about those things that will really help you think about those behavioral steps. Huh? Okay, another way I want you to think about it is remember social connection. How do you get people to be more social around wellness? Food is the best way to do that, healthy foods. Huh? All right. I want you to take another huge, big, deep breath in. I've got three minutes left. I wanna make sure that if there are any questions that you came in here wanting to know and we haven't picked up yet, ask it. Yes, sir. So his question is, am I a carrot or a stick guy? I've got a two-part answer to that question. 
is number one, I believe that motivation is momentum in disguise, right? So whatever it takes, the carrot or the stick, to get people started, right? I'm a believer in incentives to get people started, short-term incentives. I'm not a huge advocate of long-term incentives. Now, because we don't want it to be all about incentives. We want to develop that intrinsic motivation versus the external motivators like carrot or the stick. And I think in some populations, it's going to be better with the carrot and some with the stick. Honestly, it really is. I, be I believe, I mean, people respond to pain and people respond to pleasure. Yeah? So I think it depends on the organization. Yeah? Another question. What other question do you have? Over here. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, so you talk a lot about social interaction, engagement. What do you find um, for success-wise of a committee of peers um, to be engaged with employees, you know, and like I said, bringing together well as committee of peers to, I guess, reach those engagement levels? Okay, so his question, and the way I'm going to interpret it, is how do, you get, how do you get your wellness committee and people connected around this idea and, and the, the, the momentum to do stuff? Is that what you're saying? Okay, great. All right, what do you think is the number one energizer in any initiative? What do you think it is? The carrot? The stick? Personal self-interest? Success? Seeing progress? Making a difference? What it is? people who are able to thrive in a high demand workplace and a high demand role on a wellness committee, and believe me, it can be, are more meaning oriented. They lead with meaning. They are more meaningful. They make people feel more meaningful. They are more meaning oriented in their, their own way of thinking. So for instance, in a wellness committee, or when you're pitching wellness, whether it be to a board or, this, or the leadership or your people, remember I kinda, I kinda bagged on the whole problem solution thing. We got this problem, wellness is the solution, we want you to do it. All right, that still works if you will put meaning on the front end. If you lead with a meaning-based context. So like in a wellness committee, every meeting I would have, I would say, you know what, here at this organization, we believe in this, this, and this. And personally, I believe in that too, and I'm especially about this. And you know, with this committee, I really believe we're making a big difference. What successes have you had so far? And then you can get people to start talking about how meaningful it is. And if you wanna motivate, the first step I want people to start taking, I want you to start taking, if you're not doing this already, do you know what the eight most motivating words in wellness? If they can do it, I can too. I want you to start thinking about success stories as a greater part of your organizational programs. If you're gonna start at ground zero, you need to start with highlighting success stories in your organization. That creates uh, a groundswell. I did a program for our PBS affiliate, and we, we used to, I would interview like doctors and psychologists and nutritionists and all that, and it was so boring. I mean, it was so, it was, it was boring. And then I thought, you know what, what, what do people really want to see? They want to see people like themselves make positive change. And so I did a fitness witness segment. That thing got so popular. At the end of the show, we had a, we had a fitness witness reunion show. It was crazy, the effect. And so if you're trying to go, instead of the siege wall, lobbing on information into people, if you're going to infiltrate, you want to find the people who are already doing wellness, who will say, hey, 
I'm a warehouse manager. I was 350 pounds, now I'm 200 pounds. And then you say, how did you do that? Well, I did this. What did you feel like before you did that? Well, I felt like this, and now I feel like this. And what would you tell people who are in your, who are, who are in your position when you were before? The stuff that comes out of their mouths is better than any marketing brochure a marketing company could come up with. I think that is a way to really shift the momentum in, in the tide. And in the wellness committee, if you are able to talk about meaning up front and then say, here's this meaningful result, man, it really does. It's like a one plus one plus one equals 10 scenario. All right. So I obviously have tons more information for you. If you would like it, I'm going to be out back. Uh, give me your card and I'll send you a link and a password to this attendee only page where you'll get videos, articles, newsletters, brochures, Oh, I mean, everything that I put together. I do this whole video series for success.com. It's all on there. You can all have that for free. Just leave me your first name and your email or your business card, and I'll send that link to you. Uh, if you'd like more info on me as a speaker, put an S on your card, and I'll get you that information as well. I'm going to be around the rest of the time. So if you want to come ask questions, chat about, tell success stories, tell horror stories, please do. I really enjoy that part. And I really want to sincerely thank you and Tom and Cypress. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cypress University podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the future of self-funding, head over to our website at cypressbenefit.com. Mm-hmm.